Good evening. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries, and I welcome you today with exceedingly abundantly and overflowing joy. This is a very special day in the calendar of the United States. It's called Memorial Day, and it is also known as Decoration Day. It's a federal holiday in the United States for honoring and mourning the U.S. military personnel who have died while serving in the United States Armed Forces. And just a little bit of history, the first national observance of Memorial Day occurred on May 30th, 1868. Then known as Decoration Day, the holiday was proclaimed by Commander-in-Chief John A. Logan of the Grand Army of the Republic to honor the Union soldiers who died in the Civil War. And I do want to take a moment to mention that last year, in 2022, the National Cemetery Administration, a division of the Department of Veteran Affairs, credited a woman named Mary Ann Williams with originating the idea of strewing the graves of Civil War soldiers, Union and Confederate, with flowers. So I want to thank all of those men and women who gave their lives for this country. We honor them today. We bless their families that are still living. Uh, there, there are many, many uh, family members that uh, have lost loved ones. And all of those who have lost loved ones over the years, over the many years and the many different wars, that this country has participated in. So we honor you, we bless you, we thank you for your service. Tonight, I want to talk about the return of the fear of the Lord, part two. And we're going to be talking tonight specifically about God's glory. Now, John Bevere has highlighted a, an idea I and he backs it up with scripture. I, I, I like it. He says there's a pattern before God manifests his glory. And that pattern is, number one, divine order. Everything has to come into divine order first. Then secondly, God's glory can be manifested. And then if there is some issue that doesn't go right, there's judgment to follow. So when God created the heavens and the earth. It says the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. That's Genesis 1-2. So it was chaos until God spoke, let there be light. And actually, the speaking of those words from his voice brought divine order. Then God prepared the earth for six days before he released his glory into it. God planted a garden in Eden. Most of us know that story, but sometimes it's just good to hear it again. And he created man, who was the focus of his creation. It always has been the focus of his creation, man and mankind, because that's why Satan attacks people. Because he is trying to get us 
to get our eyes off of God, to not believe in God, which unfortunately in this day and hour, there are millions of people who do not know God at all, which makes Satan very happy. Um, but his purpose has always been to divide people and bring people and draw people away from God. So God planted this garden in Eden, and he created man the focus of his creation. And God formed man of the dust of the earth. John Bevere writes that science has found every chemical element of the human body resident in the earth's crust. Now, I find that fascinating, and I love that little scientific nugget. So hang on to that nugget and share it with somebody. That science has found every chemical element of the human body resident in our earth's crust. Pretty cool. That's why David wrote, we are fearfully and wonderfully made in Psalm 139. When God breathes into man's nostrils the breath of life, man became a living being. Man was created in the image and likeness of God, and then woman taken from his side. Again, man being created in the image and likeness of God, we see what is going on today, not just in society in America, but all over the world, where people do not understand that they were created in the image and likeness of God. And so they are trying to make themselves in the image of something else. Men are trying to make themselves in the image of a woman. Women are trying to make themselves in the image of a man. That is against scripture. It can't be. You can try and do it, but you will always be what you were biologically born to be. That's the way God designed it. Now, Adam and Eve neither had clothing. They were both naked and not ashamed. The woman and the man were clothed with the glory of the Lord. And so they did not need clothing. So this couple who had the privilege of living in this garden without sickness, without disease, in perfect harmony with the animals, with everything in that garden. This couple had the privilege of walking with God in his glory. I don't think you and I can even quite understand that. I don't think we can relate to that at all. So God first brought divine order by his word and by his spirit. Then His glory was revealed. And it was a wonderful blessing. It would be a wonderful blessing to live in a place where there is perfect harmony, no sickness, no disease, just walking in the cool of the day with God, being in his glory, being covered with his glory. Again, you and I cannot relate to that. But it was a wonderful blessing until the fall. Then they were told, and they were told not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And if they did, it was going to bring immediately 
bring spiritual death. And so we know how that ended. We know that Eve was tempted by the serpent and then Adam very, um, you know, Adam wasn't deceived at all. Adam knew exactly what he was doing. And he knew fully that he was choosing to disobey God. John Bevere writes that his irreverence was nothing less than high treason. Imagine, imagine the heart of God when he realizes what these two people have done. He created them. He was in perfect harmony with them. And now they chose to disobey him. So judgment had to follow. And it was a severe judgment. The glory departed from them. They were separated from God in a state of spiritual death. Immediately, immediately that happened. And then they were immediately driven from the garden. So I would say that judgment was quite severe. They lost everything. I mean, it was a, it was a cutting off of everything from God. It was a severe blow. I'm sure it was a severe blow to God. It was a severe blow to them. And then several hundred years pass. And God finds another friend in the man called Abraham. That's a long story. Once his descendants are delivered out of Egypt, they spend 400 years in Egypt. And that's where the, during, um, prior to that time of entering uh, Egypt, they, uh, the, the, the 12 tribes of Israel are then developed through Jacob, Jacob's line, and Joseph, his favorite son with a coat of many colors, becomes prime minister of Egypt. And then all of those family move to Egypt and then spend the next 430 years in Egypt. But then God selects a special man, a man by the name of Moses. And Moses is going to be used by God to deliver the people out of Egypt, out of that bondage, out of those hardships, into the promised land. Now, unfortunately, they don't make it to the promised land at this point. But once again, God's going to walk with man like he walked with Adam and Eve. He's going to walk with man because this has always been God's desire. He wants to walk with us. He wants to have fellowship with us. Now, if you think about that for a minute and you think about what I spoke about last week with having this reverence for the Lord, having this deep hunger for his presence, which comes out of an intimate relationship with God. That's always been God's desire. So Adam and Eve blew it. Now we have another man on the scene by the name of Moses, and God's going to walk with Moses. He's going to walk with him for these 40 years in the wilderness with these people nonetheless. But because of man's fallen state, God cannot dwell with him. 
So what's, what's God's plan? Well, he instructs Moses to make a sanctuary called the tabernacle. And God carefully instructs Moses how to build this tabernacle. He gave him specific instructions. And you can go to the book of Exodus and you can read all the specific instructions that God gave him to know how to build this tabernacle. And it's extensive. Um, you can do a whole study on the tabernacle because the tabernacle actually, if you learn about the tabernacle, you'll find that all the parts of the tabernacle all point to Jesus. So this man-made sanctuary was to reflect the heavenly sanctuary. Let's just look at Hebrews 9, verses 23 and 24. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So we can see from Scripture that Christ, his sacrifice, he is now, uh, this is not a place made, made by heavenly hands. When, when God gave us the ability to access him through the Holy Spirit, through the shedding of God, Jesus' blood, this is, we become the tabernacle. We are now the tabernacle of God. Back then, God instructs Moses to make this physical structure and all the little details of that physical structure. And that's what they would have those 40 years in the wilderness. They would have that tabernacle. That is where they would go to meet with God. Now, um, so this man-made sanctuary actually reflected the heavenly sanctuary. Imagine um, just seeing that and knowing that that is exactly what was in heaven. And God warned Moses. He said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. That's Exodus 25:40. So this was divine order. And Moses had to get this accomplished according to specific instructions by God. And so what God did is he then got all the skilled men and he, they began to work on the tabernacle and he anointed certain men to do certain artisan skills. So there were ones that are pointed to do silver work. Others were carpenters, and so on. Now, when everything was finished, and it was done according to God's instructions, then the, and the people submitted to the leading of the Spirit, I want you to notice what happened. I'm going to read out of Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 and 35. It says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, 
and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Wow. So you see, once divine order again was attained, God revealed his glory. So if we go back to the beginning, the beginning of creation, God's bringing order out of chaos. He's developing the six days. We've got the Garden of Eden. He puts man in the garden. Then he creates woman. And they are covered in his glory. But then when they disobey his instructions, judgment comes. Then God finds Abraham. They develop that whole lineage. They end up in Egypt for 430 years. God then takes Moses out, uses him again to bring the glory of the Lord by building this tabernacle. So divine order, then the glory of the Lord. Most of us in the church today, we, we lack an understanding of the glory of the Lord. And if you have never studied anything about the tabernacle, then you're probably not going to know much about the glory of the Lord. But um, one thing we do need to know about, because we see in Exodus 40, it says that um, the cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory filled the tabernacle. So the glory of the Lord is not a cloud. Um, God hides himself in the cloud. He is too magnificent for mankind to behold. And so the cloud, what the cloud does, it screens out his countenance. Or if not, they would have all been consumed immediately. Because mortal flesh cannot stand in the presence of the Holy Lord in his glory. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16, he, 16, he says, He who is blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Hebrews 12.29 tells us that God is a consuming fire. Okay, so a consuming fire could never be contained in your fireplace. John, 1 John 1.5 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So a fireplace doesn't produce perfect light. And... Um, we could look at the sun. The sun is enormous, it's bright, it's powerful, but it still contains darkness within it. But Paul says to Timothy that God's glory is in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. Now, Paul could have very easily understood this measure of light when he's on the road of Damascus. And he tells King Agrippa in Acts 26, 13, he says, At midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me. Paul is saying this light was brighter than the noonday sun. 
Now, you take a moment and you try to look directly at the mid midday sun. It's very difficult to do that unless it is veiled with a cloud. When a cloud moves over the sun, you can see it. But God in his glory exceeds this brilliance many, many fold. Paul never saw the Lord's face. He only saw the light emanating from him. And so that paused Paul to think, hmm. And then he said, who are you, Lord? Well, he couldn't see his form. He couldn't see the features of his face. He was so blinded by the light that was coming from the glory of the Lord. He was overwhelmed with that brightness of the noonday sun. And God's glory will overcome all other light. Why? He is the perfect and all-consuming light. Isaiah 2.19 says, They shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. So God's glory is so overpowering that when he came before the children of Israel in the midst of the dark cloud at Sinai, oh my goodness, the people cried out in terror and they drew back. And Moses describes this in Deuteronomy 5, 22 through 27. He said, The Lord spoke to all your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice. So it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. And we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. So though they saw him shrouded in a thick darkness of a cloud, it couldn't hide, it could not hide the brilliance of God's glory. So what is the glory of the Lord? Moses said to the Lord in Exodus 33:18, "Please show me your glory." Well, that Hebrew word for glory is the word kabod or kavod. And in Strong's dictionary, it means the weight of something but only figuratively in a good sense. Its definition also speaks of splendor, abundance, honor. Moses was asking, show me yourself in all your splendor. And God's response was, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, Exodus thirty-three nineteen. Moses requested all of God's glory, but God referred to it as my goodness. And the Hebrew word for goodness is tub. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it means good in the widest sense. Nothing is withheld. 
Then God said, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. So he was saying um, to Moses, I will proclaim my own name and pass by you in all my splendor. So then we see that the glory of the Lord is this, simply this. It's everything that makes God, God. John Bevere says this. He said, all his characteristics, all his authority, all his power, all his wisdom, literally, the immeasurable weight, the kavod, the immeasurable weight and magnitude of God are all contained within God's glory. Nothing is hidden and nothing is held back. That's a mouthful. So the glory of the Lord is all that makes God, God. Everything about who he is, authority, power, wisdom, literally the immeasurable weight and magnitude of of who he is are all contained within his glory. Oh, so I like that. And I think that's easy for us to understand. And that's easy for you and I to grasp. The glory of the Lord is all that makes up God. And yes, sometimes it's hard for us to comprehend and understand that. Um, But we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about part three of this return of the fear of the Lord, because we're going to take it to a whole nother dimension next week. So, I just want to once again say thank you to all the men and women who have served our country, and we bless the families of all those fallen soldiers. Um, We speak peace and strength to the families, and um, we certainly are thankful for all the men and women over all the hundreds of years that have served this nation so well. We are so proud of you. Well, this is Don Noble. You can go to www.pureheart.today and listen to this podcast again. You can download the iHeartRadio app and listen to Pure Heart Ministries podcast 24-7. You can email me at Don, all lowercase letters, D-A-W-N, at pureheart.today. Please continue to pray for this ministry, and as always, I appreciate you helping to financially support this ministry by sending your check to Pure Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 85, Valley Grove, West Virginia, 26060. That's Pure Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 85, Valley Grove, West Virginia, 26060. I look forward to being with you again next week. This is Don Noble saying, Shalom, Shalom, peace be unto you.